0: Hi, my name is Sam Connen, and this is Out of Bounds. My name is Sam Connen. I'm the sports editor at the Daily Bruin. Uh, today I'm joined again by co-host Ryan Smith, Daily Bruin senior staffer, former sports
1: editor. Uh, Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, but not as good as uh, Leangelo Ball. He got himself a contract offer today. Yes, he did.
0: Former UCLA men's basketball dropout Leangelo Ball. That's that's correct. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, talking, to, speaking of UCLA men's basketball, we'll be talking a lot about them today. Uh, but we'll also be touching on UCLA football's representatives at the NFL Combine uh, in Indianapolis this weekend. Uh, and we'll be uh, visited by Matthew Joy. Uh, He's a former Daily Bruin assistant sports editor and now he is the, a digital media programming assistant at NFL.com. So he'll be joining us in a bit to talk about that. But starting off UCLA men's basketball, now alone in first place at the top of the Pac-12 standings, clinched a buy in the conference tournament. We've been talking about this team for weeks, just seems to keep trending up. Uh, Ryan, I, I, I know that The Arizona game was great too, but we'll just start off in chronological order, go with that Arizona game first, but wow, what a a
1: finish. What a finish. Two great finishes this weekend, but obviously the first one against Arizona State, Hawkins got the handoff, the good screen from Campbell. They got their revenge, and they needed it uh, to have that good positioning in the Pac-12 standings, and Arizona State, they came out, they played a good game. But UCLA, like they've been doing the last few weeks, they're coming through when they need to. And uh, that was a big win for them. Yeah, and I, I know UCLA is 6-0 and
0: against Pac-12 teams in the second end of the season series this year. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see how that goes against USC on Saturday. But generally, the second time that Mick Cronin gets a look at your team, it's, it's not great news for you. It's better news for the Bruins. Uh, so Ryan, do you just want to walk me through that last play? I know Cronin didn't call a timeout, uh, but just what did, what were your thoughts on that
1: play? How you saw it develop? It was kind of slow, but I've always been a big fan of the the dribble handoff and then just set the screen. I think it's a great way to get some space when there's really nothing you know developing with a play. Tiger did a great job of positioning himself in a way that got ha- that got Hawkes some space. It was a little bit of a deep three, but Hawkes is a good shooter and yeah just enough space between him him and uh campbell's man and he was able to knock it down over the top uh and then he also got the steal at the end to to clinch it but that that dribble handoff play is always a great uh backup backup option when play is not really developing in the half court
0: yeah and it's crazy because tiger campbell i mean i i noticed this at first but i didn't really notice it until i watched the replay a few times but he really set that screen hard. It wasn't just a handoff and kind of roll, like just kind of bump into a guy. Like he set his feet, set that screen hard. He's 5'11". Most of that has to do with his hair. He's not a big guy. And I mean, props to him for setting that screen, like running the play to perfection, really. Uh, It just
1: speaks more to, you know, his his basketball IQ that we've been seeing all season. You know, he's not that eye-popping athlete, but he's just so smart out on the court, whether it be his passing... Getting to the basket, and in this case, you know, just setting a a really really solid screen.
0: Yeah, and and Jaime Hawkes just the amount of clutch <laughs> that you have to have to take that. I mean, he's a 32% three point shooter on the season, and they ran a play for him with no time left on the clock to shoot a deep three. I mean, it, it's just crazy how that. And made he's a out. freshman. It's a freshman. He really was not playing like it. He doesn't physically look like a freshman. Mentally, it really doesn't seem like he's a freshman. I know Chris Wilkes is probably a superior offensive player if you try to compare the two of them, but just thinking Chris Wilkes, his freshman year, was just such a, a very pure scorer, but kind of passive would defer to the older players like Aaron Holiday, Thomas Welsh. But Jaime doesn't really have that. He has Chris Smith, but Smith's not really a, a pure scorer. So I mean, it's it's good to see Hawkes kind of take over that role as a freshman, which is it's just crazy to see.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I love about Hawkes as well is if you if you watch him away from the play, I mean he's battling underneath a lot of times with big men on switches. He's in there getting rebounds half the time. Half the time I see him, he's you know, going up in the trees and trying to make a play, he's batting the ball out to his teammates. I mean, he's he's an all energy guy. He can shoot the ball, he's a good defender. We've seen him on the break plenty of times this season. I mean, he's just out there getting it done, and he's a perfect type of player for what McCronin's been trying to do here.
0: Yeah, and this part I don't really want to gloss over because the first half of that game, it really seemed like it was going to be the Jake Kyman game. It's it's great. I mean, he had three possessions in a row where he hit threes, and the crowd just absolutely erupted. He was celebrating. Chest bumping with Chris Smith, going nuts. I mean, the bench was going crazy. That was really fun to see, and I know... Cronin kept running this play, and Arizona State could not do anything about it. Where they'd start with Kyman in the corner, and they'd have Hawkes and either Hill or Riley, whoever was in, down on the two blocks. And then they'd just do a double screen, and he'd run by both of them, come around to the other wing, and shoot wide open three.
1: Yeah, I mean, if it isn't broke, don't... Don't fix it, you know? I mean, if if Kyman's going to get that kind of space, you like your odds of the ball going in the way he's been shooting, especially lately. The Bruins need these shooters to step up, and Kyman's been that guy for them. David Singleton's also been pretty hot from outside recently, but Kyman's the guy right now to take those shots, and if you got a play that gets him open, I mean, by all means, run it.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're shooting almost 34% from three during conference play, which is about middle of the pack in the conference but a lot of the reason that they aren't lower is because of Kaiman. He's shooting 40% on the season. I mean, we all know David Singleton's a really skilled shooter, but he's shooting 36.7, and Kaiman is really the one who's kind of bearing most of the load on the three-point shooting, and I think Cronin's taking advantage of that and calling plays for it really well. And then kind of moving on to to Saturday's game against Arizona, another must-win game for UCLA to get an at-large bid or fight for seeding and everything. I know Arizona, I'm sure, was looking for revenge after the Bruins beat him a few weeks ago. But once again, UCLA came out on top. Last minute, Tiger Campbell banks it in on a floater after missing his first 10 shots of the game. I don't really know, once again, how a freshman or redshirt freshman had that confidence, but he did. It was crazy, right? Ryan, what did? What were your big takeaways from that moment, that game as a whole?
1: In terms of just down the stretch, I mean, I think the biggest thing we learned, if we didn't already know it, is no one on this team is afraid. They don't care who takes the big shot. They have confidence in everybody. It was Chris Smith twice to cut it to two and then tie it. He had the, the little baby hook in the lane and then the, the really nice turnaround Jay uh, to tie it. And then obviously Tiger put it away with the floater, but I mean, it was Hawkeyes on Thursday, then it's Chris Smith and Tiger Campbell. I mean, anyone can hit the big shot for this team. And that's very important, especially when you're getting into these games where they're close at the end. If you're able to give it to anybody, it's great in terms of confusing a defense. You never know where, where the big shot's going to come from. And obviously, I guess the grand takeaway this weekend is... This team, this team, this team can win any game. I mean, they're they're never out, especially the way they've been playing defense lately. That Arizona game, especially, they were matching the Bruins' offense, you know, shot for shot. It just kind, of it was starting to feel like Arizona was just going to keep responding, and they would be able to uh, hold the Bruins off. But the defense stepped up at the end. The Bruins hit the big shots and came away with the win.
0: Yeah, I know UCLA finished the game with I think six or seven straight defensive stops. So that I mean that's. Mick Cronin's identity that's huge but then also going back to what you said about Chris Smith going in the in the final minutes there that turnaround jumper I, I remember Chris Wilkes would take that his freshman sophomore year and everyone would roll their eyes say why are you why are you taking that and I know you're a good shooter good scorer but what are you doing who would have thought two years ago when Chris Smith and Chris Wilkes came in at the same time that Chris Smith would be here And you would have confidence in him taking a turnaround mid-range jumper in the final minutes of a tightly contested conference game. It's crazy, like, the narratives that have changed with him. He didn't even, I mean, he had 17 points, but shooting 33% from the field and missed a few free throws. He didn't have his best game, but you can still trust him down, like, when when it matters most. Which is what's craziest to me. I mean, so the defense was crazy. That Chris Smith down towards the end of the game, Tiger Campbell, eight assists again. I mean, he had a double double on Thursday night. He just, just everything is clicking for this team, like you were
1: saying. And I mean, it, it was also crazy because Tiger and Chris Smith. I tweeted out during the game; they were three for twenty at one point combined near the end of the game. And those are the guys still taking the big shots at the end and they're hitting them. I mean, there's just never ending confidence with this team right now. And no matter who has the ball, you just feel like it's going to work. It's just going to work out.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do at the Galen center on Saturday against USC, but I don't know. We'll, we'll take a little bit of a look ahead of that. You know, the PAC 12 tournament next week, I'll be there in Las Vegas covering that. Uh, really looking forward to that because I mean, the more I get to watch this team burst in person, the better. So they're just really entertaining to watch play a good brand of basketball. Honestly, I know everyone was scared when Cronin was coming in. Say, so, I don't know, is defensive basketball really gonna draw eyes, draw viewership? But I mean, <laughs> from from my point of view, winning basketball is good basketball. So I'm, I'll, I'll be entertained.
1: And it is, it's definitely a weird dynamic. I mean, it, the way that this team has started to gain attention from the national media, they almost feel like. I don't want to say like a Cinderella type, but because it's UCLA basketball, like why would this team be considered, you know, a Cinderella? I mean, it's supposed to be good, but it just, they seem like the, uh, the darling team right now and everyone, everyone wants to watch them and people are excited that this team is back and having success.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're, right now in bracketology, Joe Lenardi's bracketology, they're actually in the bracket. I mean, They're in there because they're projected to win the Pac-12 tournament and get the automatic bid because they're in first place right now. But, I mean, if Oregon wins both of its games this weekend, then it'll move to the second seed. But either way, I think if UCLA beats USC and then wins one game in the Pac-12 tournament, that could be enough for an at-large bid because that will be, what, nine wins in a row and then lose to a pretty good team in the Pac-12 semis. I I think if if UCLA beats USC... Wins its Pac-12 quarterfinal matchup. Wins its semifinal matchup. I think that's that's it. there will be a lock to be an at-large but They don't even have to win the Pac-12 tournament at that point. If they make it to the Pac-12 championship game, that that's that. I mean, this will oh, be yeah. one of the best end of season runs by a UCLA team ever, by any Power Five team ever. Really, it's just kind of crazy how it's all panned out.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, this isn't like it's some gradual improvement. I mean, this was a team that was struggling in game 15 of the season, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the switch flips and they can't make a mistake. The way they're playing, if I'm someone that's looking at who to put in the tournament, there's no way in my mind UCLA is not a team that absolutely deserves to be there. There's no way it's not one of the top 30 teams in the country at worst. I mean, it's it's a team that that definitely deserves to be there, and they've shown that over the past few weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, the loss to Fullerton, that's brutal. The loss to Hofstra, that's tough. But, I mean, Hofstra is a tournament team. And we shouldn't take them as a total crap team like Fullerton is. But, I mean, when you're the hottest team in the country, and UCLA probably is, you can kind of overlook those bad losses when you're trying to decide who makes the tournament. So, yeah, that's about all we have on UCLA men's basketball. Game on Saturday coming up, 12 twelve fifteen ryan and i will be there we'll be in the galen center covering that so looking forward to that and then pac-12 tournament coming up after that and now we are joined by matt joy uh he used to be part of the daily bruin uh now he's working for nfl.com how are you, how you
2: doing today matt i'm good it's good to be back on the show it's been about three four year hiatus so you know <laughs> back when aubrey yo and i were on the airwaves and now you guys are holding the ship down
0: yeah bringing back the the legacy of out of bounds it's uh definitely fun to bring it back have you on the show but uh i know we we definitely want to talk to you about the nfl combine you were doing a lot of coverage for it this weekend four ucla guys uh were were there i don't know what were what were your big takeaways from the the four of them who kind of stood out the most
2: the one that i heard the most about when i was like watching the nfl network coverage which that's like my job i have to watch the nfl network around the clock and The guy who really stood out a lot was uh, Darnay Holmes in terms of not necessarily his testing, but his on field drills, which I I think us as fans and reporters, we rely on, you know, the the Deion Sanders of the world, the people who have played and and the scouts to like inform us on, okay, this drill doesn't have a time attached to it. It doesn't have like a, a weight or whatever, or a distance. So you have to, like, rely on the analysts a little bit to talk about the footwork and, and the, the technique. And everyone was kind of not in awe of Darnay's technique, but they were saying, like, he was one of the most technically sound corners there. And, like, you know, for them to make a select segment on an NFL Network show for a guy who, going into this competition, wasn't really one of the main guys. He wasn't a Jeff Okuda. He wasn't C.J. Henderson from Florida you know, he was probably a middle of the pack corner guy who didn't really warrant that kind of attention. So like, I think like Darnay is the one that, you know, even though he didn't run the way I thought he would, he got a lot of, you know, analysis over him, you know, whereas, you know, Aussie, Aussie didn't really, and Joshua Kelly had a little bit, but there was like a lot of attention on Darnay.
0: Yeah. And I, I, the, the 40 yard dash is always interesting because you, you never know how that applies directly to an NFL game because how, af- how often are you running 40 yards unimpeded, no one else in your way? Yeah. So even though Darnay's 40 time was kind of in the middle of the pack for corners, you just look at that play against Arizona last year where he had that chase down, forced fumble, yep. to prevent yep. the touchdown. So, I mean, you look at the 40 time, maybe it's not the best, but when you're looking at in-game straight speed, like yeah. what the 40 time is supposed to mean... You know he can catch up with the guys.
2: Yeah, and I mean we've seen that so many times over the years of the forty time not being indicative of in-game speed. Uh, in, the, in this combine alone, you had certain guys that were not expected to run as well as they did, run really well. You know, um, Jefferson from LSU, the receiver ran a four-four-three. People were expecting maybe he'd go four-five. Chase Claypool, a six-four receiver out Notre Dame, ran a four-four-two. And then on the other hand, you have people in the NFL who are really fast, like you know Antonio Brown. Back when he had his head on straight, he ran a four-five-six. And then in the in the game, he's, like, burning people on punt returns and, and going deep. So, you know, I, I think that you're, you've got a great point that, like, in-game speed is more about kind of combining lateral footwork and speed because you're never really running in a direct straight line, and that's something that's kind of hard to quantify.
0: Yeah, I know you were saying Deion Sanders was talking about Darnay pretty highly. I know he was at his camp a few years ago, so Darnay definitely has a lot of pedigree behind him. I don't know, Ryan, just... From this season, what did you see out of Darnay that makes you think he could or couldn't be a, a
1: good NFL prospect? I mean, Darnay this year obviously battled some injuries and stuff that it was obvious that there were some games he wasn't on uh, the level that we, we were used to seeing him. But, I mean, he's still the same Darnay. He's got that speed. He's got good technique. And like you were saying, I mean, we've seen his talent in game before. We, we saw that play against Arizona. And so we know what he's all about. I don't think this year was very indicative of what he can be just because I don't think he was really ever a hundred percent.
2: Yeah. And Darnay, if you look back at there, there were a couple of plays uh, in the Oklahoma UCLA game that was in Norman where, uh, Nate Matters was getting burned in that game quite a bit uh, by CeeDee Lamb, who's, you know, the, some people consider him the best dri- wide receiver prospect in this class. But Darnay stood up and, and had some good snaps in that game that probably are to his benefit the fact that the guys he was going against and the quarterback he was going against, Kyler Murray, at the time. He has he has good game film that he can, you know, rest his laurels on. Yeah. I mean, Darnay is just one of those guys where if you're
1: watching a game casually, he stands out. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. He might he might have had a, a, a rough season in terms of some dumb penalties and stuff like that, but he's definitely one of those guys who you're watching and he's just he looks faster. And he looks like he's doing what he's doing.
2: So yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, he passes the eye test. He does. Yeah. yeah,
0: it's it's gonna be interesting though because at UCLA, Darnay was the number one corner. He was kind of like the shut down guy. But when he goes to the NFL, he doesn't really have the size or physicality to line up with guys outside the numbers. So. I mean he has some some good speed and like Matt you were saying, he has the the like the technicality. So I think like he can develop to be a pretty decent, like nickel slot kind of guy. Uh like that's how guys are kinda of talking about him at this point. He's not the, the shutdown guy like everyone thought he would be, but yeah. He's still a pretty good prospect in a certain role
2: but yeah and nickel guys are becoming more and more important yeah in today's nfl like justin coleman the former seahawk got picked up with a huge contract by the lions in free agency last offseason he's like exclusively a nickel guy because you're going against a lot of not only 11 personnel groupings with three wide receivers one tight end one running back but you have also even when it technically might be one running back, two tight ends. The tight end is is like a Travis Kelsey or a Gerald Everett, and they're in the in the slot. So it's like you need somebody, and sometimes they'll put a linebacker out there, hybrid guy, but you really do need some kind of nickel guy to in in this day and age in in, in the NFL. I
1: think yeah. Darnay could make a good special teams gunner.
2: Yeah, that that too. Yeah, I, I think so. As long as he doesn't target, you know, because he's <laughs> he was notorious for that at UCLA, the Jim Mora era, full of targeting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so I mean, we'll we'll move over to the offensive side of the ball. Um, you got Joshua Kelly, Devin Osiasi, both put up uh, pretty pretty impressive numbers. Probably better than we were expecting, just in terms of the, the pure test. But I don't know, Matt, what did you see out of the, the two of them? Who was kind of ha- had the more buzz this weekend?
2: Well, I think the the best positive of the weekend um, from a UCLA perspective on the, the offensive guys was uh, Joshua Kelly's three cone time running the six nine five best of all running backs who participated in it. And um, so that was a definite plus. I'd say the main minus was uh, Devin Asiasi's I think he had 16 bench press reps, which um, was, I think, tied tied for second worst amongst tight ends. And, you know, when you're 6'3", 257, you're, um, you're expecting more from a tight end in that department. And unlike Caleb Wilson last year, Asiasi, even though he played in the slot a lot and he can catch, he's He became a really prolific pass catcher in UCLA's offense this past year. You want to see, he has, you see him and you're like, he actually has the potential to be an inline tight end, kind of if he wanted to be. Whereas Caleb Wilson, like, no matter how much he bulked up, there's kind of, like, a, a cap there for him to be kind of an inline guy. You could you see a guy like Gassiasi, his body type, his build, and you're like, I want to see those bench press reps get up to, like, 23, 25. I want to see him, you know, be a more well-rounded 257 pounds and be, like, that more physical, multifaceted tight end as opposed to a one-trick pony. Which, right now, he's kind of a one-trick pony in the pass-catching realm, which doesn't make sense considering his his physical traits he should be able to do both
0: yeah and i know a lot of the scouts were, were talking about in the nfl uh their player breakdown of him say it was saying that one of the issues was that weight fluctuation mm-hmm. mid-season for ucla and just over the off season. no one really knew what he would measure in at yeah it was it was definitely definitely a lot in the air like you got pretty like broad numbers that he could be and when he comes in at 257 that's when you're like oh okay so he'll be that blocking guy but once again he hasn't really showed the strength and, like, the the consistency to do that between yeah. these tests and, like, with UCLA last season. So it, it's going to be interesting with him because like, comparing him to Caleb Wilson, Caleb Wilson was that one-trick pony mm-hmm. uh, as a receiver without the potential, but just physically speaking, Asi you would think, has that potential. So that's why he could be a, a mid-to-late-round pick, maybe picked higher than Mr. Irrelevant Caleb Wilson was last year.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree on on Osiasi. Ryan, what do you, what do you think of Asiasi? I mean, same
1: type of stuff. Last year, we know Kelly was trying to get him into more sets where he was blocking, but that's really just not his not his style as yeah. of right now. And he was more of a red zone target in yeah. the past game, so it's, it's really just comes down to that that physical physical stuff with Asiasi. Yeah, and those those red zone targets are are important. And I mean, going over to Joshua Kelly, a lot
0: of his touchdowns this season were like the short yardage goal line stuff scenarios unlike last year where he broke out big plays so mm-hmm. i know he had a, a 4 40-yard dash which is uh i mean i i think 4-5 was about where he was expected to go so i mean it was it was definitely impressive but yeah. uh the 23 bench press reps were also really impressive I mean, seven you know, more than assi yeah I mean, he's he crazy weighed, <laughs> he
2: weighed in i think joshua kelly weighed in at like what 212 so five eleven two twelve versus six three two fifty seven, and nevertheless he has seven more bench press reps. So I don't know if that's an indictment on Ociosi or um a compliment to Josh Kelly. you know, like it's i i we we never question Kelly's work ethic and his positivity is that like that's he exudes that, so you almost wonder. If Kelly's mentality toward the game went into Asiasi's Ossie body, what it would what that if that would be like you his perfect combine prospect for this year.
0: Yeah, exa- I mean you, you saw Kelly in those the press conferences uh, over the past week. He just continues to be Mr. Happy
2: Go Lucky. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, it's It's great. including like confidence and not just confidence but like positivity, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean and he's he's still finishing up this quarter at UCLA, he's gonna get his degree. And I, I know I've seen his agent on Twitter is obviously talking him up a lot. That's her job. But at the same time, like, I, I feel like that's getting a lot of buzz, just his personality traits. I don't have any inside information on who he did interviews with, if he had any. But I would feel pretty comfortable saying that he knocked any interview out of the park. And yeah. I mean, it's, it's really just fit and system at this point for him. I mean, it's not like he's going to be a top three maybe even fourth round picks he'll definitely fall in the back end of the draft but I mean I, I feel like he kind of set himself up
2: pretty well uh last yeah. week yep yeah. and I think he might need to show a little bit more in the pass catching realm yeah. um and in, yep. in, in pro day like he he did really well in the pass catching reps at combine that I saw him take but that's a limited sample size when you're trying to go through like 30 running back prospects you're not going to get as many routes to run passes to catch so on and so forth
0: Yeah, it was interesting because last offseason for UCLA football, I know Chip Kelly was talking a lot about, and and Joshua Kelly too, about how they wanted to get Kelly more involved in the passing game. And everyone was kind of looking forward to that. And I mean, it kind of took a hit when he was out at the beginning of the year and Dimitri Felton moved to running back, so there's your pass catching back. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was definitely kind of interesting to see all the confidence they were saying about joshua kelly in the offseason and then to come back and he only has 11 receptions for 71 yards as a a receiver which is just like not really what you're looking for in nfl running back today
2: what daniel jeremiah said during the uh the combine coverage was that chip kelly had told him that the reason joshua kelly wasn't as involved in the passing game was because he was that you know you know first three down or first two down back where he was primarily a runner and then on those downs when they were primarily passing situations, Kelly personnel wise would be out of the game and they'd bring Felton and they'd bring Martell Irby and whatever it may be. And that's kind of why the snaps where they were intending to throw to running backs, Kelly wasn't. in it wasn't like he was running routes and not getting open or dropping the passes. It was just a personnel issue, I guess. Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, was, I mean, it was also hard to believe like a lot of the things that were being said about, especially the running back group mm-hmm. at the beginning of the season. I mean, it was, whatever was said really wasn't translating onto the field. I mean, there were games where Josh Kelly is sitting there on the sideline without his helmet on and Felton's getting all the snaps and you don't know why. And yeah. turns out there's nothing wrong with Josh Kelly. He's just not getting the snaps. So, yeah, I mean, if the plan was supposed to be him catching the balls, I mean, I mean, everything was kind of out of sorts, especially at the beginning of the year. Yeah. The no, even year in
2: the year that Kelly broke out in 2018, you saw his playing time was sporadic um, until he really hit his stride. in like about the fifth game, it, that Fresno State game, he didn't get one carry. He didn't get one snap, much less one carry. He didn't get one snap. So it's like, it, it was strange that, you know, you see this ball carrier more than anybody else out here. Granted, it's not always in-game action. It's practice action. But, like, it was weird how Kelly had to, like, it seemed like play himself into that role with his in-game numbers. And then you, you would think he's the perfect practice back. But, you know, up until that point, he... he didn't really get many reps you know he was the he was like the cincinnati game 2018 regular season opener he, they got him going a little bit then bolo it was just like all over the place or usually his running back rotation just didn't seem to have any consistency to it until kelly broke out and then when the 2019 season started it went back to that again a little bit
0: yeah it's definitely going to be interesting to see how these guys translate to the nfl because Whether or not Chip Kelly's are able to turn this program around this season, or if he even gets another season, I I feel like everyone's pretty comfortable in saying he didn't really like utilize these players to their maximum talent. Like Darnay was a five star guy, and then I mean, I think he was
2: like four or five star. I'll see, I'll see.
0: Yeah, so I mean, you get these guys who are talented, have their ups and downs with production. So the combines definitely an interesting way to see how they are isolated, no coaching involved, really. Mm But it'll it'll be interesting to see down the line in the draft, uh, like rookie mini camps in the spring. So yeah, that'll definitely be interesting. And then uh, one, one last question on the NFL combine stuff. Uh, Matt and Ryan, quick thumbs up, thumbs down, yes or no. JJ. Molson as an NFL kicker? No, no, <laughs> no. After that Arizona game, I mean, you can only.
2: I feel like there was a networking yeah. thing that got him into the combine, like some kind of like connection with the been. Molson Brewery or something. Like I, when I saw him, as were, Mises, were, were they
0: an NFL sponsor? No, they, they <laughs> were. But like I,
2: I just like when I saw it, that was the first thing I thought of. Was like there had to have been some kind of networking thing going on here is, that, it, is that, it, is that it got like, him on the list.
0: Like kicker affirmative action, or something? did they have to hit like a quota of how many I mean, kickers they had, had to kicker invite?
2: Affirmative action, they. The, there are many other kickers they could have chosen yeah. than J.J. Molson. Would a, guy, to a guy you know, a I mean, guy, who hits
0: all his extra points and does basically nothing And else.
2: he's really never shown much outside of, like, what, 45 yards? No, I mean, I, he like, really hits
0: nothing outside of 45.
2: Yeah, so, you know, and, and that was consistent in the practices that I saw him, too. Every time that they pushed Molson out, just it was very inconsistent. I know for every kicker it is, but, like, for Molson, he would he would struggle to make, like, pretty much 20-30% of them, so... Yeah, you know, it's I, I I didn't see his film when he was there. They don't show the kicker film. Hopefully he did well and, you know, made his case. But yeah, it was it was a little bit strange seeing him as one of you soda's four invites to this event. And yeah. this
1: Molson's season was like one of the more like low key fascinating things about this season because his his the year in two thousand eighteen, he had a really good season yeah, yeah. kicking the ball and despite not really having that range he was like consistent from distance. Yeah, yeah. He was
2: only consistent inside forty. Yeah, and
1: yeah. you know, through the spring a year, the spring practices a year ago, it's it was sounding like Molson was maybe adding that aspect to his kicking game. Yeah, um, yeah. There was a lot of hope that he was going to become one of the nation's better kickers, but it really just never translated into the games for whatever reason. Yeah, and, you know, here we are. Here we are. Um, <laughs> Yeah,
0: so that's uh, <laughs> that's about all we have on the uh, NFL Combine. I mean UCLA football definitely a big topic going on right now. Spring practices just started, so we'll be covering those on Daily Bruin Sports. Uh, a lot coming up for UCLA men's basketball. I don't know,
2: Matt. You want to give quick thoughts on men's UCLA basketball. men's basketball? I mean, they're just like defending like Craig. Even when when Hallen came in and took over for Lavin, it took a full season of like raw failure like just utter failure like they did have a nice win in Washington that year but there was a whole season of you know let's scrap this and then start from scratch and then the second year they made it to the NCAA tournament this is the, 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 the speed of this turnaround has been something to behold it's just like how people are you know buying into Cronin so quickly it almost makes me think that they were just so ready to buy into anything else but Alford and what was going on before that like they soaked it up like a sponge once they said oh this stuff these new tactics actually work what cronin's teaching us works so yeah i'm really excited to see what happens at usc on over the weekend and uh you know it's it's just really cool to see a defensive team like seemingly overnight and i i think the window's there for them now too because college basketball just seems more open than ever the best teams talent wise are teams with like no experience and they're more susceptible to upsets and like like you look at arizona on paper, Arizona, you know, has the talent, but, you know, Mannion's not, he's like, you know, still a freshman, and and so UCLA, the fact that it just shows their coaching, like Cronin's excellence as a coach is manifesting itself, I think, and, and more quickly now.
1: Yeah,
0: I mean, a C game on Saturday will be a big one. I mean, we got that this weekend, women's basketball Pac-12 tournament this weekend, baseball and softball still going, gymnastics, there's a lot going on, but I, I know that, a lot of people are just talking about men's basketball, and for good reason. But, yeah, that should be just about it uh, for this week's episode of Out of Bounds. Uh, Matt, uh, thanks so much for coming in.
2: It's good to be back. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I know you you guys did the, the show a little bit differently in your day, but, I mean, it's it's
2: fun to keep it going. No, it wasn't, you know, we didn't reinvent the wheel or anything. It was <laughs> pretty much like this, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ryan, thanks for hosting again. Of course.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, we'll have one more show uh, in the in the quarter next week uh, before finals for us, spring break. Thanks to Ryan and Matt for joining me today. Thanks again to Omar Saeed for helping produce this episode yet again. And, yeah, thanks for listening, and see you next week. This episode of Out of Bounds has been hosted by me, Sam Conan, and Ryan Smith. Special thanks to our guest, Matt Joy. We are produced and edited this week by Omar Saeed and fact-checked by Zoe Willoughby. Out of Bounds is a daily Bruin Sports Podcasting Production.